It's time for Fish Facts TV. Welcome to Fish Casting, the fishing podcast. I'm your host, Tanner of Fish Facts TV. Hello, everyone. I'm Captain Tim. How's it going, guys? We got a good podcast today. None of us did a ton of fishing, but we both did a little bit of fishing. And we both have some plans to do some more fishing in the future. So uh, still not finished on my Florida Fish Madness. I apologize. You know, I spend all my free time either fishing or recording podcasts, and I just don't have the free time. But I promise you, I will get it together when I have some time. This weekend might be it. Uh, but it depends. And, uh, with that, Tim, you got any opening shots? No, not, not particularly. Um, you know, I did do a little fishing, but, uh, I know that's coming up here in a minute. We'll talk about it, but, but yeah, I'm happy to be here for another week and, uh, ready to hop in. All right. I will let you lead off. Okay. Well, um, it was my loving wife's 34th birthday uh, this past Monday, so a couple days ago. So this last weekend, we did whatever she wanted to do as a good husband uh, uh, would do. So we did stuff with friends, we did stuff with family, and one of the things she really wanted to do was go out on the boat, bring the dog, and go to her favorite spot on the boat, which is the the sandbar at Bunces Pass. You've heard me talk about probably way too much, but this time of year, I get really excited about going because the snook are starting to show up. Um, we got out there a little later than I would have liked to just because it was such a nice weekend that we had beautiful weather finally on both Saturday and Easter Sunday. Um, Saturday was a little windier than Sunday, but still would have been a great day to run offshore. But as the loving husband I am, uh, we did what she wanted to do, even though I was kind of uh, itching to get out there right off the beach looking out. It was just flat calm. Um, so we got out a little later than, than I'd like to. So I didn't get to capitalize on the really, really early morning first light snook bite. Um, but I did, I did have plenty of time early, early out there. Um, would have had more time if we would have been able to find bait. Um, I think with all the wind we've been having, once the wind kind of let up uh, late in the week and on the weekend, some of that bait moved offshore because I had the, uh, the hardest time getting good bait off the flats. And, and, and these are grass flats that I chum and then throw the net. And, and I've always historically done really well for both the uh, greenbacks and uh, pinfish. I got a ton of baby, baby pinfish, but no real big pins that I would like. And uh, just, just maybe two dozen greenbacks. So I ended up wasting a fair amount of time doing that more than I'd like to, but, um, made it to the sandbar, got a great spot, um, had, had a ripping current with that full moon and, uh, ended up catching a couple snook. It wasn't, it wasn't great. Um, the bite actually didn't really turn on until like, I'd say 10 or 11 AM there's boats everywhere. They're anchored up, you know, 20, 30 feet from you on both sides. People are splashing around, dogs running around, sun's high in the sky, and the snook showed up. They weren't there um, early in the morning when it was peaceful and quiet, but they showed up and started staging up um, to ambush bait. And I started dumping out nets full of pinfish and uh, greenbacks and getting them fired up. And I ended up catching, catching three snook and, and probably the 22 to 25 inch range, um, had a great time with them. There was people all over. So they were loving, 
loving the show of the, of the snook hitting the bait and me catching a few. But um, after that, it was back to hanging with the wife and the dog and, and um, you know, just, just spending a nice day, relaxing on the beach. So uh, um, had a great time there. Went and fished a few docks, kind of uh, a Pinellas Point area, um, kind of by the Skyway Bridge, which normally are, are very productive. Didn't get anything in there. Um, actually, that's not true. I caught one catfish that destroyed um, one of my nicest greenbacks that I was saving for these docks. I couldn't believe it. I pitched it up underneath the dock and got hammered by a big old catfish. So that was a, um, a bit of a letdown, but had a great day on the water. And, um, you know, looking forward to some, some cool stuff coming up. This upcoming weekend, I'm going uh, up to North Florida for my last bit of turkey hunting this spring. And then the following weekend is a, a big kingfish tournament. And um, depending on how bad the weather is, um, I'm kind of 50-50 on, on registering and doing that. So um, exciting stuff to come. Well, Tim, it sounds like you got a lot on the agenda, but I have to say that's very surprising. You know, I don't think I've ever caught a snook after 10 a.m. Um, you know, I maybe I've hooked them maybe once. My first snook might have been a little bit later in the morning. I don't remember. I think I was in high school, but I have never recalled having too much luck uh, on snook during the heat of the day. You know, that period probably from 11 to maybe four or 5 PM. What, what do you think brought them out uh, at that time of day? I think we were kind of dealing with the early morning dead low tide for the day. Um, when we got out there, the, the current was just starting to trickle in. Um, we had a low tide water quality was, was pretty nasty. Um, like I said, you know, this spring has been so windy. So any of that, you know, water from, from up in the interior of the Bay, it's just, really nasty. It's not clear. It's not that offshore, nice beach water you're thinking of. So once the water started to clear up after a few hours of that full moon, high tide ripping in, the current was just smoking. Um, once the water cleared up, the snook showed up. And, and it wasn't that I didn't see the snook there before um, because the water wasn't that dirty and kind of the areas where I'm sight fishing these snook, it's, it's pretty shallow. And uh, even if it's a little milky, you can still see shadows and, and uh, um, different things. But in that shallow water, even, even when it's dirty, you know if there's snook there. And I've had good luck before. But I think these snook just knew the water was going to get better and um, they were going to have a little bit more visibility and it would be easier for them to, to hunt. So that's just the theory. But that's, uh, that's what I'm sticking with. Yeah, you know, it sounds like a reasonable theory to me. Um, so you think it's getting to be the time of the year where the snook are really starting to show up on the beaches on the Gulf Coast. You know, I told you last year about my trip to Marco Island, and I think uh, I'm going to try to find a weekend coming up to try to take a trip either to Marco Island or Chukaluski. You think uh, I'd have some success doing that over there, kind of doing the same thing that you're doing? Yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, you know, there's they're similar ecosystems, and the snook are, are going to be – you know, fattening up and, and moving out to the beach and, and getting ready to spawn. So, um, you know, what I've been getting into are the males and, and they're the smaller snook. And like I said, in that, you know, <clears throat> 20 to 25 inch range, but I know the females are going to be right behind them. Um, a lot of times, you know, in May, when the water gets a little warmer, you know, up around 80 degrees, I'll start to see, you know, those big, you know, over 30 inch to over 40 inch females with a couple males kind of chasing her as she uh, uh, moves up and down the beach. So 
that's what I'm really looking forward to. Um, I definitely think that, yeah, like I said, very similar situation down there. And I think you'd be very successful. All right. All right. And you have any, uh, anything you're going to try to do differently to get, get that last Turkey in the bag this season? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, probably, probably go to, go to some, some old timer Turkey habits where they, if they start calling a Turkey and, and they think that, uh, they got one coming their way to, to go on the other side of the tree and look the opposite way because he's going to come in behind you. Um, that's kind of an old, old Turkey hunting joke. Um, no, I, I really don't know. Um, I don't have a ton of space to chase these guys down. Um, I'm just going to try to find, you know, um, a productive area, which, which I know there's turkeys all over there, but just looking for tracks. Um, first I'll, I'll get up there Friday afternoon and I'll have a little bit of time to kind of scout out and see, you know, what these birds are, are doing, you know, from, from a short assessment and, and kind of stage up. So we'll see. I only have a Friday afternoon, Saturday morning, Saturday evening, and then Sunday morning. So hopefully I can get it done. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I had one other Turkey question. So I saw a picture on social media of a white Turkey. Now, do you know if that's a natural mutation or do you think that's something a domestic Turkey that might've escaped? I know uh, that's what color domestic turkeys are, but the comments on this social media post made it seem like it was some kind of rare white wild turkey. Yeah, so, so the, like the pure albino wild turkeys, they, they do exist um, naturally. Um, and they're super duper rare, um, especially depending on the subspecies um, and where they're located. Um, but it, you know, having not seen it, it, it could be a domestic turkey, but those domestic turkeys are so white. They, they've lost all their barring. Um, if there was any patterning on the wings or tail feather, uh, tail fan of the one that you saw, it probably was actually a, um, a wild turkey that, that was just a, you know, a pure albino, which is pretty darn rare. So that'd be definitely, a Definitely cool to see, you know, as a turkey hunter, I don't know if I would shoot it or not, just, just knowing how rare they are, but chances are, you know, if it's a, if it's a big, you know, icy white turkey um, running around the woods, I'm surprised it hasn't gotten uh, eaten already, some sort of predation, but uh, hey, um, you know, I, I don't know, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to really dig deep to see if I'd shoot that one. Yeah, yeah. He made it seem like it was a wild one and he'd been chasing it down for years. So uh, who knows? Well, must have been a pretty weary old bird if it was if it was white and survived the woods. So yeah, uh, must have been pretty smart. Now, uh, you did some family stuff this weekend, but, you know, I, I know that your family is, is a is a fishing family. Uh, were you able to get out and, and have any fun on the water? Yeah, um, a little bit. You know, we were hoping to go out on Friday uh, out in my dad's boat in Jacksonville, but it was just the, the wind was just howling. So uh, it, it was really too windy to get out there. Sometimes we fish off his dock. So he's in a pretty cool spot where he's got a freshwater pond right across the street and he's got the St. John's River um, right in his backyard. So we, uh, we wanted to fish on the riverside, but, you know, the conditions were just never never very good. You know, we didn't have any live shrimp. We were running around doing family stuff. But one thing that always is accessible is the largemouth bass. Now his lake is full of largemouth bass, but you know, a lot of them are very small. I, you know, I don't know if they're stunted 
or what, but it seems like a good amount of those bass are in that 12 to 14 inch range. You know, the, the yearling, maybe a, a two year old fish, but I, I was catching a couple that were looking very old. So uh, like the, the bodies were looking more developed um, than you would typically see with the fish of that size. But we were just throwing wacky worms, um, kind of typically my favorite, uh, the, the pumpkin green and the June bug zoom trip trick worms. Um, and it's, it's really easy fishing out there. Um, with the little circle hook, just kind of let it sink, reel it in slowly. They hit it on the sink. You know, we went out probably three days in a row. Um, you know, but I was really enjoying, uh, getting my nephew on the fish. So my nephew is about three and a half years old, very well-spoken kid. Um, and, and he was catching a lot, you know, I think at one, one of the trips we went out there, he actually caught more fish than I did. Um, wow. you know, I think he was getting a little bit of assistance from my dad, but, um, you know, he can reel them in himself. I think they're still a little bit heavy. You know, he, uh, he still struggles a little bit. My dad has a little ultralight that he gives to him. I tried to give him my seven footer, which, you know, was the only rod that I have. It's the the main rod I use for basically everything from a snook to snapper, little heavy for those small bass, but you know, that's what I had in my truck. And, uh, I was using that and he was pulling them in. Um, I got one uh, fish that was a little bit better. It did look like, so there's a tree that kind of hangs over the water right there. So I think the fish were bedding around the tree and uh, I was able to snag, uh, one that was a little bit bigger, off the bed, you know, try to get that flip cast and just land it perfectly. Um, but it is, it is fun. You know, it kind of brought me back to fishing as a kid. You know, I, I used to fish bass beds all the time growing up and that was always an easier way to get on those bigger bass. Um, so it, it was fun, you know, spending some time with my nephew, my dad, um, and getting on some bass. So it, it was an enjoyable time. And even, uh, my wife came out there, for a few minutes and even she caught uh, a bass or two. So it was a really, really fun time just doing some easy family fishing. No, that does sound nice. And uh, you know, you're building memories for your nephew and that's really cool to see someone so young. So, so picking up the sport so well, you know, um, catching, catching more than you or, or um, you know, step for step with a little assistance, but that's, that's awesome. I love to hear about that. Now, you know, you mentioned catching these bass kind of gave you flashbacks to your childhood. Um, did you used to use the wacky worm back then too, or is this a newer thing? Because when I used to fish bass, that wasn't something that I really knew about. And I don't know if that's regionally or, or what. Now, is that, you know, something that up in the North Florida Jacksonville area that, that you guys would use pretty regularly? So it's interesting to talk about, you know, my progression of bass tactics. You know, we grew up fishing a lot of salt water, but we have golf course ponds in my neighborhood. So we did do a lot of bass fishing. So when I was really young and would fish with my dad, um, we would almost exclusively use live bait for bass. Um, my dad as more of a native saltwater fisherman, I guess, didn't have too much experience, um, fishing for bass with artificial lures at that time. So, you know, we would often, he would have me targeting small bluegills and small shiners. And then once we got one of those, we'd hook it up and uh, fish for bass that way. Um, and that, you know, that was effective. We got a lot of bigger bass uh, fishing like that. 
I didn't really start getting heavy into worm fishing until maybe early middle school. Um, I think we went to the, the Florida uh, fishing show, the Florida sportsman fishing show in Jacksonville. And I bought a couple worms and I, and I kind of, you know, when you don't have confidence in a bait, I just didn't have a ton of confidence uh, in, in worm fishing in my, you know, early tween years. And then, you know, a, a guy moved to my high school when I was maybe 14 and he was from Tennessee and he was a heavy like tournament bass fisherman. And so then I fished with him a couple of times and he was using spinner baits and crank baits and kind of opened me up to using more of the, the artificials. And I don't know exactly when um, we started using wacky worms, but I would say it was probably around 15. I can't remember if my dad read about it somewhere. Maybe my dad read about it in Florida Sportsman or something like that. Because I, I, at that time, I would, I would go back and forth. Um, a lot of times I would try to use a circle hook to hook up a worm, which you know, if you're trying to thread it, it just, you end up losing a lot of fish, but all the hooks my dad had were circle hooks. So I would just buy worms and try to use the hooks that I had and it just didn't work very well. So the, the wacky worm ended up kind of coming out of that. Um, and you know, I tried to be more advanced. My dad always stuck with the wacky worm, but it, you know, it always proved to, to be a very good technique. And then, you know, in my, my years, probably from 14 to 16, maybe even 14 to 17 were my heaviest bass fishing years. And at that point I experimented with a lot of different stuff, but the, the wacky worm was always a favorite uh, fishing those golf course ponds at that time period of my life. Yeah. You know, you hear people, tournament anglers, recreational anglers, they talk about, you know, how productive of a rigging method the wacky worm is. And, um, you know, just never got into it, never got into it. I feel like I, I missed out. Um, you know, when I used to fish bass growing up on some local lakes, you know, most of the time we'd use Rapala's crankbaits like that, um, rattle traps. And, and um, if all else fails, then we'd go to a worm just because, you know, we we're impatient. We wanted to drag something through and make a lot of casts and cover a lot of area. And we would just use worms, kind of the standard rig, you know, with a with the artificial worm hook and a bullet weight and coast it out there and let it get to the bottom and just bring it in really, really slow and wait for that thump. So um, I can imagine that, that the wacky worm would have worked well in those applications because the, the, the artificial worm always, always ended up working well for us uh, um, growing up. Yeah. Another thing about the wacky worm is I feel like a lot of the lakes we fish had heavy weed coverage on the bottom. So when you fish the wacky worm, you know, you're kind of fishing a little higher up in the water column and they usually hit it on the way down. So when you fish like a, a typical Carolina rig, you know, it's bringing you down. And even if it's weedless, you know, a lot of times weedless isn't always uh, that weedless. No, definitely. Um, you know, that, that's a good thought looking at the conditions of the lake and, and the bottom and uh, keeping it out of those weeds. Cause yeah, I've been there where you get your your uh, your lure coated in those weeds, and you're not going to catch a whole lot doing that. You are absolutely right. All right, Tim. Uh, I think the next thing we wanted to talk about. Oh, I forgot. I wanted to talk about um, some future fishing plans. You talked about your turkey. So when I went up to my parents' house, I also brought home my kayak. So I bought oh. my kayak my senior year in high school. Um, I had a Hobie. This is a big yak, an ocean kayak. 
It's not the best kayak, um, but it gets the job done. It's a little bit on the slower side, but it's very stable. Um, and so now I have that at my house in Miami and I have some spots that I haven't tried and some spots I haven't tried in a long time. Um, and I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, trying to fish these docks in the canal near my house and trying to pull some snook off of them and some snappers. And then uh, I have another spot that I, I fished a lot, maybe in the early days of our podcast, but whenever I got rid of the John boat and replaced it with the boat club boat, I haven't been since this spot was very productive for small snook um, dog snapper, mangrove snapper. And it was a really fun spot, but I just haven't been able to fish it in years because I haven't had the right boat. So I'm really looking forward to getting back to, to those two spots in the next couple of weeks. I actually was supposed to go on the boat club this weekend, but it looked super windy. So I decided that uh, I'd take that opportunity to either hit the canal or hit the, hit the Creek on the kayak. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. You got the kayak coming down. I, I know. Yeah. Going back a few years now, you used to publish stuff um, where you catch a lot of fish out of that little jamba. So, uh, you know, now that you have access uh, with, with something small like that and can get back to some of those spots, uh, that's really cool. And um, I know you said there's nice fish in those canals by your house and there's limited access and you've, you've, uh, you've seen nice fish, you've hooked nice fish, but because you're not really supposed to fish there, um, that's kind of, kind of tough. So with that kayak, you'll be able to hit all those different areas. That's awesome. Um, I'm excited to see how you do. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I still uh, have not landed a snook this calendar year and it hurts my soul. You know, I think it's been my last snook was my, maybe in August. So uh, it's been a long time coming and I really, really don't want it to get to the to a year and go snookless for a full year. So I, I got to get out there hopefully this weekend and I can at least get a snook to break the streak. You know, at this point, it's just becoming so much of a, a thing and it gets some snook anxiety here. Yeah. You got, you got the snook in your head, man. You got to go out and break that and, uh, and get on the board this year for sure. All right. All right. Well, let's move on to the fish of the week. We have a really interesting fish, probably a fan favorite. Uh, I know that most people I know really, really enjoy catching. Um, there's several species that you can catch, um, but the one that we will talk about today is the leopard sea robin, uh, Priontus scitulius. Um, you know, I don't have a ton of experience with the different types of sea robins. I know I've caught a lot of northern sea robins fishing up north, but, uh, you know, sea robins all look very similar. And uh, before I get too deep, I wanted to get your thoughts on the sea robin. Tim, what can you tell me about them? Oh, yeah, this is definitely one of my favorites. Um, you know, sea robin, they're, they're a weird little fish. Um, I've caught tons of them always is bycatch. Um, I got no reason to target them. Um, I used to get, um, uh, pompano fishing a lot. Um, when I, when I'd be throwing goofy jigs or wacky jigs, depending on what people call them. Um, just those heavy little, um, banana jigs, people call them also, uh, little jigs that you kind of bounce really fast for pompano off the, off the passes or off the beach or, or, or whatever. Um, I've caught a ton of them doing that just out of the blue, you're jigging from pumps and boom, you get hammered by one of these things, bring it up. And it's just a, 
a weird little bottom dweller critter that you just want nothing to do with. Um, I've also caught them when I've been trying to catch bait, um, cast hunting for pinfish, uh, chumming in deeper water if I'm throwing a heavy net, trying to get those pins on maybe the side of a flat. But other than that, you know, I, I don't really see a reason, you know, for, for the ones around here, at least that anyone would want to catch them. Um, you know, they are kind of, if you kind of separate, you know, the way you're thinking about them as a, as a trash fish and, and looking at them, like they are kind of like a, a freaky, cool looking fish. But other than that, you know, I just unhook them and throw them back. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to say I don't have time for them, but, uh, uh, they're not, not my favorite. We'll put it that way. How about you, Tanner? Yeah, they are nasty looking bony little suckers. Um, you know, like I said, I've caught a, a lot of the northern varieties fishing up in Rhode Island and New York. Um, I feel like there's a lot more of them up there than there are down here. I've caught a few. I remember the first one I caught, I think I was like a, a teenager fishing in St. Augustine. And uh, it, it looks like it has legs and butterfly wings. It is just a bizarre, bizarre looking nasty fish. Um, and yeah, they're, uh, they're not the most fun. I was actually being a little bit... Uh, facetious talking about uh talking about them but they're definitely interesting looking fish and if you catch one if you haven't before um it's eye-opening and it, it does it's not poisonous i feel like it kind of looks poisonous but uh yeah it's a no, they, they, time they definitely look like they they might be a fish that could hurt you in one way or another whether it's just kind of the, the creepy factor or do they have some spines you don't see or something but yeah, I, I can definitely see how, you know, a first timer catching one would be a little weary to touch it. Um, just well, I, I believe they are a member of the Scorpioniforms order. So the Scorpioniforms also contains the scorpionfish family. So they're not a close cousin to the scorpionfish, but they are a cousin. And a lot of different, uh, the scorpionfish include like lionfish. So, you know, they are are not close cousins, but they're definitely uh, related to um, some venomous fish. Well, be careful with them either way, like all fish. <laughs> and they'll find a way to hurt you, I guess. All right. Well, I think that closes it up for today, guys. Remember, like, subscribe, five stars, review the whole nine yards, and uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully next time I talk to you folks, I'll have a turkey in the bag. It's been a long season. Um, I'm not saying I'm ready for it to end because I'm never ready for turkey season to end, but I would love to go out with a bang. All right, Tim, I'll catch you next week. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye.